We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello, Hornets fans, and welcome back to another BuzzBeat. I'll be joined by Brian today, along with a guest, to chat about the Hornets draft. Uh, I'm not sure if we'll talk about Scoot Henderson at all, but wanted to discuss some late first-round picks, early second-round prospects available to Charlotte because they do have a handful of picks. Before we get into this, though, take a minute out of your day, rate and review us on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts. Take a look at buzzbeat.substack.com for our private podcast feed and the perks that kind of come along with that. But without further delay, let's go ahead and welcome on our guest, Leif Tulin. He has appeared on Locked on Jazz as a fill-in host, and you can also find him on Locked on Big Board podcast as well. Leif, I know that you're a little bit under the weather, and uh, we appreciate your time. So how's it going? Uh, aside from not feeling my best, I'm doing well and always happy to talk draft uh, with, with anyone. And I'm eager to talk about some of these guys that I think are in play for the Hornets in the late first. Yes, and uh, the Hornets do have uh, you know, a bevy of picks outside that number two pick. They've got the 27th pick, the 34th pick, the 39th pick, and the 41st selection. They certainly can't keep all of these players. Uh, they're probably going to package maybe even to move up move back, sell off these picks. But let's let's talk about some players that could be in play here, mainly with that pick 27 or maybe pick 34. We're going to start with uh, Colby Jones, 6'5", combo guard at a Xavier. He actually worked out for the Hornets on June 5th. And Leaf, just kind of get this out of the way, like Brian is way more versed with this type of stuff. I, I have seen very little of Colby Jones I, from what I have seen, I know that he's a good passer on the move. He's a smooth shooter. He does a good job of chasing players on the defensive end. And to me, actually plays stronger than he looks. And I don't know if you know this off the top of your head, but like, where do you have him on your big board? Where do you kind of rank him? Maybe give me a range. And then what would the Hornets be getting out of this guy if he were to be drafted with that 27th pick or that 34th pick? Yeah, I have Colby Jones around 40 on my board. Um, okay. I, I think it's because he's good at a lot of things, but not great at anything. And in, in the NBA, there's typically some some trait that gets you onto the floor. There's some trait that keeps you on the floor if you're not um, like a lights-out shooter. Um, and he's he's good at shooting. He's he's good at uh, passing. He's, he's able to get to spots on the floor in college basketball, but he was older. 
So uh, what I mean by that is I think he's got the possibility of being a player that contributes down the road, but I just see less upside than I do for some of the other guys that are uh, typically viewed in the same range as him. And that's why I, I prioritize upside in the, in the later rounds, mm-hmm. uh, sorry, the later uh, end of the round. Um, but but that said, I think he's one of those guys that I think has all the intangibles to be good. He just needs a situation that allows him to be himself. Whereas uh, there's a lot of guys that can just bank on one trait and make their way. Um, and he's one of those guys that I think has to find a situation that's conducive to him playing like him as opposed to trying to be something he's not. Brian, do you share some of the same thoughts with him? Yeah, we definitely, you know, for a guy like Jones, who's certainly been on the, on the scene for a few years now, a uh, third year guy out of, out of Xavier, um, he's played in a lot of, you know, winning basketball games, been in a good situation. He's been a big time player for, you know, a high level East, you know, big East program for a few years now. But yeah, I do think he is sort of in the, the jack of all trades, master of none category. And when prospects slide into the, into that archetype, it can be tough for them to find a path, uh, to on the next level. Like Leaf said, like he, there's maybe not one defining thing he can hang his hat on, but I will say guys who are six foot five, it can pass a little, shoot a little, and run pick and roll. Those guys do have a chance of of finding a spot in the NBA. Um, and he is someone that I probably, without having a sort of like numbered big board, have a late first round, early second round grade on. And with the Hornets having sort of a, a glut of picks in that range, he he was one of the names that, in terms of guys who are working out with the team this week, that sort of like jumped a little bit um, to me because he's a guy that could land very well within the Hornets range. And he's a guy that, look, if he was a rotation player in a couple of years, I wouldn't be surprised. Um, some of the shooting numbers uh, this season, 50% on long twos, uh, above 60% at the rim, 38% on threes, not a ton of volume, about five and a half three-point attempts per 100 possessions. Was one of the better, like, and leave. I'm sure you were, like, plugged in on this too, but just, like, when you watch him play, you know, really one of the better sort of like high volume, like runner and floater finishers, probably in this class. Um, going off the numbers, you know, just a shade under 55% shooting on, on runners and floaters this season. Um, and 22% assist rate, like pretty good crafty passer, not like a, you know, super bursty creator, but I think there's a, there's some craft, there's some bits of deception to his pick and roll game and his downhill drive game. And I kind of just like his finishing package, like inside of 10 feet. Uh, you see the touch on the the runners, the floaters, even some hook shots and kind of get, he'll get to some of the, um, some of those like Barkley style back down drives that I, I kind of feel like those are becoming like almost more in vogue. Uh, again, at least with guys that, you know, maybe are having, unable to turn the corner as much but they have some size you know, they can use that um and ultimately like i i kind of buy the shot evening out and being like projectable and decent into the next level i think the mechanics are clean um compact there's good energy transfer so not all of his indicators are perfect um and he's never been like a volume three-point shooter but i just think with that size the defensive versatility the passing and a, a shot that projects like, a, yeah, I do kind of, I do like Jones as, as a prospect, even though he does come with, uh, come with kind of that, like, at least if it's not a red flag, it's a flag of some kind 
that he is not sort of like a, a master of any sort of trait or like micro skill. Is he more of a shooter off the dribble or more a shooter off the um, off the catch? Uh, I think he's more likely to be a shooter off the catch uh, at the NBA level. With Xavier, they had him and a guy named Sule Boom, uh, who are both like kind of ball dominant guards, and so he was able to do a fair amount of both. Um, one one point is I think his touch is good, but there's very few players in the NBA that make their make their living like scoring the ball in the mid range, and the ones mm-hmm. that do are like absolute anomalies, like DeRozan or Devin Booker. And so I, I wonder if that type of stuff is is kind of fool's gold, and that's part of the reason I'm lower on him, um, because uh, if if one of the best traits he's got is like touch and like ten foot shots, how many of those will he take per game, and how good of an athlete is he if he's reliant on that type of stuff in college as a junior? Um, that said, I, I enjoy watching him play. I, that just makes me a little bit skeptical of how he'll translate to the NBA when he was reliant on scoring in that capacity against college players. That's like that's a totally fair like uh, criticism or, or or note because like those types that type of offense like that is in the realm of stars like or or like sort of like uh yeah a guy like DeRozan that has like a a game that's from like a different you know it's probably uh you know maybe not I wouldn't say outdated because obviously DeRozan's incredible but he's just he is rather mid range dependent and yeah the other guys who get to take that shot are guys that are you know, high volume pick and roll players or guys that you're doing a lot of like movement sets with. And and I don't think Jones projects to be that. I think the hope is that something like that is an indicator of skill. And then can you use that to sort of um, extrapolate and, and maybe use that as a means to sort of like buy, buy Jones's shot sort of like long-term, not as like a mid-range like floater scorer, but as someone that's maybe going to have to, we'll probably have to amp up his three point volume. Um, and, uh, you know, while also trying to get downhill to the rim more and just doing far less sort of in the like the 10 to 15 foot range. Before we switch it over, I want to hear from each of you guys with this guy. Let's, let's just say three years from now, does he have a better chance of being like a top seven, eight rotational player? Or does he have a better chance of like being in the, the G League somewhere? I, I think I think he's like f- for more it's easier to be positive and say like okay you know if he goes in the late first for instance that you you'd like him to be a top eight player um it, it's hard to know because you don't know how the rosters will be constructed but the reason I have him outside my first I guess this will be a kind of a cop-out answer but it, it's really that I think there are fewer roles for the what he's good at in the NBA as like a bench player to be like a you know touch reliant uh clever player than there are for for players that project as like starters that, that have that type of like ability. Like for instance, Nick Smith's really good at floaters, but it's because he's going to be on the ball. Whereas Jones is likely going to be a two guard or a three. And now you're asking him to do what he's really good at um, in bench units. I just think that's harder to do. So I would say I lean like closer to like eighth, eighth through tenth kind of. I don't know if he'll be a G League guy. I think he's got a high level, but. It's a bit of a cop out answer, but I, I am I do have some skepticism. Yeah, I think I actually would agree with that. I mean, I think he's sort of like I don't know. I would not be surprised to see him in the rotation of teams, but again, that's sort of like context and situationally dependent. So, um, but yeah, I could see him being uh, you know like a secondary ball handler off the bench, and um, 
a guy that could be sort of like a plug and play like depth wing piece that gives you like a little bit of of playmaking and some defensive versatility. But yeah, I, I do kind of think uh, like if I had to place a bet, I would say he's closer in the like the eight to t- 10 man, 11th man kind of range than he is like, you know, guaranteed to be like a, you know, inside your top seven or whatever. And your first got your first like guard perimeter player yeah. off the bench. Yeah. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Spin your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records. All right, let, let's switch it over to Noah Clowney. And actually, Leaf told me that this was his favorite guy of the bunch that we'll talk about today. So maybe he can kind of tell us where he has him ranked on the big board. And, and I, I could definitely see why, of these four players, why he kind of holds him at a higher standard than the others. And he talks about the upside and stuff like that that he likes to evaluate with. But yeah, 6'10", big, who's... I think movement is okay, like decent for his size. He's got a great wingspan that makes it difficult for opponents to do much you know, when he's defending other players. First question for for either of you guys. I know that we typically oversimplify things when it comes to like the swing skill of shooting. And I feel like for him, like is that the swing skill for him that he must develop? Or can he find other ways on the court to be effective uh, if that shooting never comes about? I think that is his swing skill, but I think he's plenty good enough to play even without it developing too much because he shot 47% of his shots from three. But honestly, I see him more as like a stretch five than I do a four. He just played on a team in Alabama that had enormous players. Like Brandon Miller averaged eight and a half rebounds a game. Uh, Clowney averaged nine rebounds a game, and Charles Bediaka was their best rebounder. And then they had a guy named Noah Pringle, who was such a good rebounder off the bench that uh, Bediaka kind of prematurely went to the NBA draft, or at least that's the reason I believe he did. Um, I, I, the reason I say that is I think Clowney can play the four or the five, so there's positional versatility that's underrated for someone like that. The fact that he shot that many threes is probably due to this the, uh, the way Alabama played because they had guys that drive and kick a lot, and it allowed driving lanes for their, their guards. And so the fact that he was familiar doing so encourages me. Even without the shot getting better, he shot 29%. Uh, he's still a tremendous rebounder, someone that can switch on defense. 
and it provides great energy. So assume that a player that's as young as he is and has room to grow gets better at shooting. Now there's upside and a high floor. So he's someone that I'm I'm really high on. I have him number 17 on my board. Yeah, I like Clowney a lot, a, a lot too. It, he is one of the youngest guys in this draft cycle, um, which you have to note with him. And yeah, I've got him graded as like a four and a half, um, which is what he essentially what he played at Alabama. Like he was often their their backup five, and you know that would allow Brandon Miller to switch over, fl- move over to the 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 yeah, the four. Um, but even without the shooting, and I think it's great that like Clowney was empowered to take a bunch of shots, and and certainly. In Alabama's scheme, they're not shooting a lot of mid-range. So if he's going to take catch-and-shoot jumpers, you know it's likely to be from from deep. And I don't know. I just think some of the some of the slight movement looks on that like it's encouraging that he got up like a decent amount of shots from from beyond the arc. I think that's relatively encouraging. But like Leaf was saying, like with his size, his movement, and I tend to think he's a pretty special mover. Uh, for a maybe not special, but I think he's a pretty impressive mover for a guy his size and his at his position plays with a good motor can really rebound you know 21 percent defensive rebound rate and even if the shot never comes like he does stuff along with rebounding at the sort of like just like classic big man stuff that does have a ton of value like he's got good hands soft hands you could see him catch and finish on the roll when he is able to uh, screen and dive and get downhill that way and at Alabama, like he was either in the drop or he switched a lot guarding screens. So he's going to give you perhaps the chance to give you a little bit of scheme versatility. Like if he does slide into um, either being a full time five or spending, you know, some majority percentage of his minutes at the five, but a guy that can get out and guard, pick and roll in a bunch of different ways and be a good mover and maybe be a guy that's going to open some stuff up for you offensively because. He can pick and pop. He can space. And I didn't necessarily love his field and decision-making as like a, a passer, but it's not like he was a total negative in, in that regard either. Like, I like Clowney a, a lot. I think he's a really, really uh, appealing prospect. I don't imagine he'll be there at 27. Um, but if he were, it would be it would be a hell of a pick for the, uh, the Hornets. But yeah, he's a, he's a big-time prospect that I think just kind of got lost amidst the, uh, the Brandon Miller hype this season. And, and maybe it could be one of those things where the Hornets could package that 27th pick with, with you know, their bevy of picks behind them to try to move up. But it still may not be enough. And I guess the reason I mentioned that I thought his movement was just kind of average, because I've, I've heard mixed reviews with him on defense out on the perimeter. And you, you talk about his versatility, Brian, in terms of how they can use him as a defender. But, you know, it, are there concerns on the defensive end in terms of defending out in space? And uh, is is that something that you would expect, you know, as as a first year, second year player with this guy? On oh, the- for sure, okay. yeah, for sure. Like, I I don't think that that's necessarily like sliding laterally along the the arc is like a strength of his at the gotcha. moment. Um, but but it is something that he has shown some ability to do and could be a part of the the package um, moving forward. And you guys talk about his role. Like, last question on him in terms of like a stretch big or potentially maybe like a pick and roll big like does he does he have that in his game like a pick and roll big type of um play style to him i don't think he got the chance to demonstrate the pick and roll stuff as much as you you typically see from someone that was uh that's being regarded as a four or a five 
but in the limited ones, like I, I have synergy and it, and it allows you to see when he's a roller and, uh, he's got really good hands. He catches mm-hmm. everything. He's pretty swift up to the rim. So I think he can be a roller as well as a pop guy in time. And then I think there's a lot of defensive versatility like Brian was talking about. So I'm a, like I said, I think he's a guy with a high floor that's got an underrated ceiling. Yeah. Yeah. Like they, because he played at the four a lot in this like space heavy system, you know, he was not off. He, he was just often asked to just like space a lot, you know, um, if they were getting into movement stats for Brandon Miller or movement sets for Mark Sears or pick and roll with Bidiaco or, you know, pick and roll with uh, Quinterly um, at point guard. So, yeah, I do think he's a guy that actually looks pretty fluid uh, as a dive guy. We talked about the hands now and like, again, not maybe not a ton of volume, just given context and role, but he shot if, you, if you're going on by the Bartorvik data, 27 dunks this season and over 71% shooting at the rim. So again, with his movement, his size, I think if you put the right kind of spacing around him, he is a guy that could threaten as both a pop and a dive guy. My guess is now you probably label him like as a spacer, but I, I think he certainly has the ability to like dive hard to the rim too. All right, let's get to our third player. Brandon Pajemski played at Santa Clara at his sophomore season. He transferred from Illinois, where um, he obviously didn't put up the numbers there. 6'5". This is the guy that, um, out of the four that we're talking about today, is probably the most that I've seen. He's a lefty shooting guard, 20 years old. I I really love his playmaking. I really love his craft. I know that he probably has to rely on the playmaking and craft because he doesn't have the athletic ability. He's not the quickest, although I will say I feel like he's a little bit underrated in that aspect. Ton, tons of spin moves, tons of up and unders. He plays with the ball in his hands. He can get to the floater. Just like a smooth player overall. And I could see why some could drop him in the rankings just because of the a- athletic ability. But he could also be a guy that I would say could be the steal pick if he's put in the right situation in that late first, early second. Leaf, what first off, what do you like about Brandon as a prospect? And do you think he's one of those guys where the situation that he gets drafted into plays a big role in terms of his overall impact? Yeah, he's a very clever player. I actually think he's a point guard more than a shooting guard at the NBA level. Uh, he scored well at Santa Clara, but I think his best trade is facilitation. I, I watched him play live at the NBA Combine in the first day. He was one of those guys that really stood out to me because he was unfazed by superior athletes and would find the right player all the time. They, his passing reads were the best of anyone there. And then I actually interacted with him a little bit, and he had a, a fun quote, so I'll share it. And that was, uh, I'm, not a, I'm not a hooper who can shoot. Or sorry, I'm a hooper who can shoot, not a shooter who can hoop. And so uh, I, I think basically what he's trying to say is like he, he can, he's got the game that, that would indicate he can score, but also he's he's really someone who, who loves making the right play. And then I think to answer the end of your question is, uh, yes, that if he's in a system where he's able to be the table setter for like a, a backup a rotation, I think he could really thrive in that role and be become a guy who's counted on to play minutes um, off the bench and run second units for, for the future for the Hornets or any team that's picking kind of 25 through 35. Yeah, I like guys like pods that are like here to unite both the uh the calculator casuals and the uh the real hoopers too. Like he's got 
he's got a, a game that analytically uh you know very friendly with the numbers he put up in santa clara this year and in, in, in making the right plays but just like a very skillful and aesthetically pleasing game too uh leaf i you know you said you 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 watched him play at the combine you talked to him at the combine obviously he had a great showing up in chicago and i think turned you know it was already certainly was already on plenty of radars but turned a lot of heads with his performance up there he had one pass to he ran pick and roll a one possession with Ryan Kalkbrenner. I think it was in the first scrimmage he played in, and he threw a like kind of like wraparound pocket pass where he led Kalkbrenner in in space, like right to the front of the rim for a finish. And it was just, I mean, it was if you could isolate it, it was maybe my favorite play that I saw in any of the scrimmages that I watched at the combine this year. Um, he has really nice court mapping skills, really good vision. And you see it in a bunch of different contexts, like the open floor hit ahead passes where he'll throw it, you know, 50, 60 feet on a rope and hit a guy who's running up the right wing and hit him right in it, like lead him and hit him right, right in the, uh, the shooting pocket for a, you know, catch and shoot three on the break. Um, his ability to run pick and roll, I think is really, really special. He's one of those guys that like when I'm watching his film, I don't know about you guys, but I often find myself watching tape and like I like to watch a play and then run it back and then like freeze it a couple of times and kind of think like, well, what was this guy reading here? Where's the help? What was the pick and roll? What was the coverage? Where's the screen defender? And like uh, Pachemski is one of those guys who I just like I come away uh, like very impressed with him. Not only is like making the obvious simple play when it's there, like it's an empty corner screen or pin down um, and they're the screen defenders up at the level. And like he does such a nice job, like maybe taking half second or a half dribble or whatever and engaging the screen defender. Then he's going to hit that guy in the pocket pass. But then there are other times where he's reading multiple lines of defense or he's reading a screen like the, it's a ball screen flat in the middle. He's reading the screen defender. He's reading a, a weak side help mitt defender and he's just making the right decision and at times making like highlight passes that really like jump off the screen uh, in terms of, you know, him seeing something that um, it's hard to see even from your, your vantage point of, of being able to like stop and pause and and watch the the tape as opposed to being on the floor and surrounded by, you know, six foot 10 guys. Um, So I'm very, very impressed with his skill. Uh, Another one of these guys that you see, like he can play out of the post some in Santa Clara would use him like that. They'd say they'd slice him to the post um, and run design stuff for him or let him duck in. Um, and we're about to talk about another one of these guys in Chris Murray, but just one of those guys that's got like spin moves and half spin moves and really impressive shooting touch. Like he's got the kind of, it almost looks like LaMelo influence, like touch and height. Uh, on some of his like floaters and runners, like ones that look like they're just going to kiss the ceiling of the gym before they drop in. So, you know, I have my concerns with him defensively. Uh, I think he's often like in the right spot as a team defender, which is I think what matters most. But, you know, athletically, he'll probably he's probably one of those guys that like will have a target on his back. I sometimes think his screen navigation as a chase defender is not great, but offensively, Man, big time shooter with range, with confidence, and we just went through all of the the passing attributes that he has. Like he's a really awesome, awesome prospect. I'm a, I'm a huge fan. Um, and another one of those guys like Clowney. It's like if he somehow fell to 27 for Charlotte, 
um, he would be an incredible addition. It does kind of feel like he's probably played his way up um, after Chicago to hire in the first round, though. Leaf, did you have like a, a big board ranking for him? Or I know you probably got that on a tab somewhere. <laughs> uh, let's let's find it. Uh, my latest one, I've got him at number thirty-five. I think he can fluctuate from anywhere yeah. from twenty-seven through thirty-five. Really, okay, cool, cool. All right, let's end with Chris Murray. He's the one guy of the four that I just have yet to watch anything on. Uh, <laughs> the only thing that I know is he's related to Keegan Murray. So that's that's all I know. Um, so I'll let you go, Leaf, and just kind of outline, you know, the lowdown on this guy and what you should expect out of him as a player. Well, he's the left-handed uh, twin of Keegan Murray. Um, he He's not, to me, the athlete that Keegan Murray is. Not that Keegan's like a tremendous run-and-jump guy, but he's just more fluid than Chris is. Um, but basically, his appeal is he's a good shooter who has size and ha- knows where to be on defense. Like He's not going to be an amazing defender, but he's going to rebound the ball. He's going to be in the right spots. He's going to knock down threes, and he can play the three and the four. So that's a valuable commodity in today's NBA. I actually think this is someone that likely goes in the top 20 just because he's very projectable. I'm, I'm a little bit lower just because I don't see as much upside. But uh, that's that's kind of the uh, – that's my breakdown on him, really. I think he's a safe project um, as opposed to some of these picks that, like, 27. And then for my jazz at 28, like, sometimes mm-hmm. you really go with – big time swings and I, I think he's a guy who's safer so he likely likely goes higher yeah yeah uh, I would agree with that I like the the six eight like movement shooter components of him um you know I would put him in a lot of actions this season quick shot quick release smooth um I like his footwork a lot uh going uh, coming off screens in either direction just think he does a nice job getting squared um that can open up with his ability to shoot the high release you know that could unlock some pump and goes, and he's got the ability to get downhill on a on a straight line. Like there is some self creation to his game. Um, you know, maybe not maybe not a ton, but it is something he can do. He can, he'll chew up some of the space if you're going to back off of him, and can finish through contact and use his length around the basket. Um, I think one of the things he has that is a little similar to his brother Keegan is like I think both those guys I would describe them as like scavenger scores like. Uh, yeah, Iowa ran a, like they. It's a really good spread offense, and they ran lots of actions for him. But Murray is one of those guys that just like finds his way into points um, in transition or cutting, moving without the ball. Just like when Iowa's getting into its half court flow, um, and I thought Keegan. That's something I talked about on this pod last year with Keegan. I think Chris does it too. But would absolutely agree with with Leaf of, in terms of like. Yeah, he's just not the same kind of athlete that that Keegan is, and that's sort of like the thing that differentiates those two guys. But I do like Murray as a as a as a prospect because six eight, long arms, uh, in the right spots defensively, and as a projectable three point shot, like that's um that's something to work with. All right, before we get out of here, and I, I appreciate your time, Leaf. I, I know that you were kind of battling through a, a cold here. It's, it's kind of like your flu game, your flu pod here. But I, I want to get three. Rapid fire question. You're gonna say that to him, that uh, a, a jazz fan. That's cold, Richie. Oh, it's I real cold. It's cold. I didn't. <laughs> it is cold. Yeah, no, no pun intended. Um, it's all good. Yeah, I, I totally forgot about that. <laughs> that that was before I was born. I, I'm I'm not as pained. <laughs> oh, really? He doesn't have the doesn't have the scars. Young in there. Okay. So, my first question is this: a player that is mocked, kind of like in this late first round, 
that you are actually lower on than the consensus. Like you think that they're going to go, you know, middle second round or something like that. So both of you guys go ahead and give me a player that you feel like it should be lower than the late first. Ooh, that is an interesting question. Uh, one that stands out to me is Trace Jackson Davis. I, I've seen him in the late first more recently, and and he's someone that I have, I think, at 47. Um, I, I think he dominated athletically in, in, uh, in a conference like we talked about in the Big Ten that wasn't very athletic. Um, so he looked better than his competition that way, and I think that he's a 6'8 center that is an energy big as his role but he's been fed the ball his entire career. And so I, I struggle to see him being as as efficient as people might want him to be in a lower usage role. Um, yeah, This is a tough one. I, I would maybe say, uh, like, I don't even dislike this guy as a prospect, but I, I do think, like, I've seen Kobe Bufkin mocked, like, up into the lottery. Um, and, and that is one of those guys that I, I'm just not sure I can quite get there with. Um, I have some current concerns, uh, with decision-making, um, and, and sort of like his on ball, uh, creation process. So, um, I like, I like, I do like Buffkin as a, as a prop, as a prospect, but, um, I, I can't quite get there with him as like seeing him as like a, uh, you know, fringe lottery prospect. All right. So the second one is just the opposite. So a player that is mocked late first, early second, that you probably could see creep up or maybe should creep up in in your opinion? It, that's an interesting one. I, I mentioned that Noah Clowney is someone I'm I'm higher on the consensus earlier. Uh, another one that, that I'll go with um, is Gigi Jackson, who who like recently canceled some, some workouts beyond the 20th range, but you see a lot of mocks having about 25. Um, he's someone I think has a I don't think he'll be picked in the lottery because he didn't play well at the combine, but uh, he's someone with the, all the talent in the world. And then one more that's a little bit outside the box here, and I don't know where everyone else mocks him. I, I try to avoid looking at too many mocks, but uh, so maybe I'm outdated on this. But a while ago, Leonard Miller was not regarded as like a top twenty pick. I, I've had him in my lottery for a little while, so that's someone that I think has a lot of upside. And a really high floor as like a rebound hustler who can play the four and the five. I think he's of a similar cloth to Noah Clowney. Yeah, you know what? I'll actually just copy and paste and say Leonard Miller too. Like that size, the the versatility as a screener, um, and a guy that can at his at his um, at his position, I think has shown the ability at least uh, some upside as like a guy that can create his own advantages too. So. Uh, Miller is one of those guys that I probably would be a little bit higher on than I, I'm guessing the uh, the consensus, and I think some of it also may depend on like you know where where do where where's I don't know where the consensus has someone like Nick Smith Jr. who Leaf mentioned briefly earlier when we were talking about Colby Jones, but he's another one of those guys. Like if you've got you know I, I do think people were tending to go a little bit too low on on Nick Smith Jr like within a couple of weeks ago and, and maybe we're starting to tilt that back in the opposite direction. Um, and then I, I think this is another guy that uh, I've talked about, maybe not on here, but on a couple other draft pods, but like, um, you know, I covered Derek Lively at Duke. Um, and I do think like with the way he closed the season, his pick and roll defense, the, the, the scheme versatility that you saw from him, his communication, his ability to cover ground as a backline rim protector. Like it felt like 
when he was really struggling, like early in the season, like people just completely fouled on him as a as a prospect. And I think unless you'd sort of been like doing your homework on Duke and paying attention to them, or had been circling back to them the last like six, eight weeks of the season, he, he was pretty special defensively. But it, it does kind of feel like he's moving his way back up to being uh you know, like a top 15, top 20 prospect, something like that. So um, that seems more palatable for Lively. Like it, there was a period of time where it felt like he was falling out of the first round for some people. Um, and, and that to me uh, seemed like a, a pretty big overreaction and, and just like a miss in terms of what he was doing uh, defensively. All right, last question. I know Leaf's got to run here uh, and just kind of keep this like a, a paragraph. And I'm not I'm not sure if this is the case, but I feel like I, I've either heard you say this, Leaf, or I read something that you actually have. Do you have Eamon Thompson above Brandon Miller on your big board? Uh, I I have had him there before. I I don't right now. Okay. Um. I I thought early in the season that he has top level talent. Like if he reaches absolute upside, it would be higher than that of Brandon Miller's. I'm a little more concerned about the shot having watched more of him and that's why I've moved him down I mean, he's still top five for me but uh no I, I I do I still buy him as a very very real threat to become someone who is a 20 and 10 guy down the road who, who's able to go to the rim at will and create for others just on athleticism much like John Moran does um I just don't know if he's going to do that as swiftly as I, I initially perceived him to be able to do Gotcha. Okay. Well, my question was going to be make the case for Eamon Thompson over Brandon Miller. Cause I think Brian, don't you have Eamon Thompson over Brandon Miller? Uh, I have, or I, yes, I do actually. I mean, like I've, I've started to sort of like go back and forth on that a little bit after seeing more of Miller. Um, but I do think Thompson with his athleticism, his upside as a playmaker and a defender. Um, I like Miller as a prospect. Um, and, and I feel like I've been like maybe too negative on him at, at times when we've had to get into the Scoot versus Brandon debate uh, for pick two, which I, I think is sort of a no brainer for Scoot. But I, I don't mean to like uh, totally like denigrate Brandon Miller as a prospect. Um, for me, when things start to get like a little more murky is around pick four because like then you're getting into Asar Thompson, you know, Miller, Asar Thompson, Cam Whitmore, like for me, it becomes a little bit more fluid, but I've been pretty consistent on my top three of, of Wemby, uh, Scoot in, in, uh, Thompson, uh, one, two, three, uh, for some time now. All right, we'll go ahead and wrap here. We appreciate everyone tuning in to another Buzzbeat episode. We appreciate Leaf. Leaf, go ahead and, uh, plug anything you've got going on with your podcast or your big boards or anything written pieces that you've got out and about. Uh, well, thanks for having me on. Uh, I, I'm hosting uh, Locked on Jazz through the next, uh, not this week, but from the three weeks around the draft. And then, uh, well, the, the week ahead of the draft, the week of the draft, and the week after the draft. So if, if you guys are interested in the Jazz for some reason, um, they have the 28th pick. So maybe you'll hear some of those prospects about 27. Um, and then Locked on NBA Big Board will be really busy as the draft circles up. And that, that's a really good way to learn about all these prospects from not only my perspective, but Rafael Barlow's and Richard Stamen's as well. So um, yeah, that, that's it. And I appreciate you guys for having me on. Very good. Uh, for Brian, for Leaf, I'm Richie. We'll see you guys next time. Take care.
It's true that some things change as we get older. But if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with MIDI Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at MIDI understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause. And MIDI can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms, not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com.